You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Captain Randy Lee. Our EMTs and paramedics are assigned to all kinds of emergencies, from heart attacks, car accidents, to fires. At times, a standard assignment can turn into something much more serious, and the members of FDNY EMS must find a way to adapt and overcome. On August 24th, 2020, a patient called 911 with complaints of severe abdominal pain. Just prior to EMS arrival, the patient realized she was in full active labor, and her preterm baby girl would unexpectedly deliver while she laid on the floor. EMTs Silverio Moreno and Jonathan Rivera were the responding providers to the scene, and they'll be taking us through the event. Thank you both for being here and sharing your story. Thank you for having us today. Yeah, thank you. As always in these podcasts, we like to have the people we're interviewing describe how they came into FDMY and especially how you joined EMS. Jonathan, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us how you decided to join the FDMY? Overall, I came into EMS in 2017. I had decided that I wanted to make it a long-term career. I wanted something with a little bit more stability and longevity, and I decided to come into the fire department in 2019. The reason why I came into the fire department was because I was in love with the medical field, and I wanted to make it something that was a little bit more job security and longevity. And Marino, what about you? I started with the fire department in 2016. I was doing a different job before this, like retail. So I decided to come to the fire department and change my life and do something else, help people. And started EMS and it's something that I just loved, something that didn't feel like I was working anymore. And then you both chose the FDNY specifically because of what reason? The fire department is like top tier. So like everyone's idea, you want to be EMS, you got to go to the fire department. That's the reason why I came. Jonathan, same thing? For me, it was something that I wanted to make into a career. The fire department does have a lot of room for advancement and growth. For me, that was something that I was looking for, and the fire department is able to provide all of that as long as you put your best foot forward. Let's roll back towards August 24th, 2020. Now, you guys were working together on the unit 15 David, correct? Yes. Now, are you regular partners? How did that work out? It was our first day working together. And I think it might have been our first job together. Oh, wait. So August 24th, this assignment was your first time working together. Correct. Correct. That's a good way to start. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of rough because there's no chemistry between the two. Like, I knew him from our station, so we was already cool, so to speak. But that job flow you have with a partner that you've been working with for years, we didn't have that developed yet. Yeah, so you didn't really yeah. know each other. You didn't <laughs> no. know no. your flow and the work ethic Correct. and the way you no, do no, things. No. For the date in question, do you remember where you responded from? We responded from our station. How did the job come over? What was the assignment call type? I believe the call type might have been um, abdominal pain. So conventionally, in terms of call types, this is pretty ground ball stuff. You know, like, what to do in these assignments. There's obviously someone that's sick, but you're going to go and you're going to take care of it. But it's not something like throwing an exclamation point above your head. Right. And when you arrived on scene, describe that to me. What was that like? Well, when we first got to the apartment, overall scene was very calm. The family had directed us to the room where the patient was, and everything as we walked into the room still appeared to be normal and a calm environment. There was nothing out of the ordinary that raised any concern. And then when did it flip-flop into a call of concern? Yeah, I'm getting flashbacks now. Yeah, I walked down the hall. It was very calm. She was in the bedroom. 
the far end of the bedroom, me and my partner are at the door, introducing ourselves and asking her what seems to be the issue. We go through this series of checkoff lists when you first see a patient. It's like, is she verbal? Okay, she's alert, she's talking to me. There's no direct emergency where I have to intervene at the moment. So you're there, you have the patient in front of you. She's not showing to be in high distress. No. How did you proceed from there? Even as we're interviewing her, and I'm knocking off my ABC checklist in my head, and she's actually covered from like her back down with a blanket from her waist over, so I really can't see her whole body. And she's not really facing me directly. You can see the side of her face. She's not really pointing out anything out the ordinary. As Moreno stated, we were, you know, doing our normal assessment of making sure the patient was okay, able to talk, was alert and oriented, ABCs all checked off. Due to the position that the patient was in, it was hard to properly assess her going forward with, like, taking vitals and things like that, being able to check her abdominal area as that's what the call came over as. So my partner kindly asked her if she can get up, if we can kindly assess her properly, sit her on the bed. As the patient got up and the blanket began to unravel around her, that's when my partner noticed that we had an OB out. And things just kind of escalated from there. That's the point where I was like, this is an emergency now. I have to intervene. She had the baby out of her and still connected to the umbilical cord, kind of hanging there. So I initially grabbed the infant at that time, noticed the infant was not moving, blue. So I knew something was wrong immediately. I just told Jonathan, oh, we have an OB out. He upgraded the call just to get additional resources. He grabbed the OB kit and we just started working. <laughs> so let's do a quick terminology check for our listeners. An OB out is a call type that we use to designate a post-delivery. Right, correct. correct. The OB kit is a pre-made package that we use for specifically births. Right, correct. Items inside of it like scissors, sterile gloves, a bunting, something to keep the child warm, mm-hmm. and a then suction tube, like a suction um, bowl. The bulbs, right? Correct, right. Yeah. yeah. And then when you upgrade the job for an OB out, you took it from a lower priority, which was the abdominal pain, Correct. to the OB out, which called for the additional resources of the conditions lieutenant and then ALS. So when you go into an OB out scenario versus an abdominal pain scenario, usually OB outs ultimate result in now a one-patient scenario becoming a two-patient scenario. scenario. Correct. Right? Obviously, you have all the resources coming in, but it's still just you two on this scene. Right. And now you have to manage two at the same time. How did you prioritize what to do, and how did the neonate present? I think for us, the comforting thing that gave us a little bit more ease to do the job was that we knew the mom was stable. She wasn't showing any signs of distress or that she was in any type of discomfort. Given the situation, I think that she already knew the priority was the child as we just, you know, kind of jumped into play really fast with the child. I'm not saying that she was any less of a priority because they were both priorities at that point. However, the mom was just a little bit more stable. She was still talking to us. She was still breathing. She was still listening to everything that was going on. Um, she had no additional complaint. Like she no longer had abdominal pain. So at that point, our full focus just became on the child and working on the child to get back life. Just to go back just slightly, so you were assessing the mother in the beginning, and now you had to do assessment on the neonate. Right. And you had mentioned that the neonate was representing as cyanotic, blue. Correct. Um, Not moving. No so, respirations. Uh, Apcar score of zero right. initially. 
In terms of the actual assessment, can you let the listeners understand how we do assessments that's slightly different, right? So an adult patient versus a neonate, the assessment changes slightly because while adults can be alert and verbal, neonates don't have that ability, right? right. So we have, it's, let's go back, keep it simple as a checkoff list. That's the way I like to put it. Talking to an adult patient, if you're talking to me, I can see your work of breathing. I can see if you're in distress. Without having to do any vital signs initially, I could tell if you're sick, not sick, pretty much. With the infant now, the baby can't talk to you. So you have to have another checklist. It's like, okay, how does the baby present? Is the baby breathing? Does the baby have pulses? Is the baby crying? Is there any sign of physical right. activity? Any, any life, any signs of life at that time? We felt the child had no signs of life. It was blue, not moving. I couldn't feel pulses. It was such a like, high-intense environment. There was no movement, no activity. The baby wasn't moving like its fingers, its toes. There was just no sign of life in the child. So ultimately, based on your assessment, with your APSCAR score of zero, correct, meaning that the patient is in cardiac arrest. That leads no breathing, to no correctly pulse. Correctly to engage in CPR immediately. So, so at that point, you initiate. CPR, which is just the life-saving treatment that we got to deploy, right? Yes. So take me through that, the process, because there's two of you, so it changes essentially how we do CPR, right, from a neonate perspective versus an adult. So what's the hand placement and all that? I remember correctly, I had both hands under the child. Encircling thumb technique. Encircling thumb technique, right? So basically both thumbs are in the chest area while you're securing the patient's torso. And that's how compressions are done on the infant. So you were the one doing the compressions? Correct. I initially grabbed the child once I noticed that it was OB out. For me, I was getting our AD situated. For our listeners, just to reiterate, this neonate was delivered preterm below 28 weeks. So definitely considered a premature birth. Now, do you remember how long you were doing CPR for? Anywhere between about five, and ten five to 10 minutes, just about. It's funny because you both have that look of confusion because time doesn't run I right don't anymore, the right? Time frame. No, it's, the time just disappears. Like the time yeah. frame disappears. I think when you're on a job and it takes a left turn so quickly, your focus is not really on the timing. You're just in action and in play. You're trying to get everything done. You're making sure you're checking off your checklist. So, as you're doing CPR, had your additional resources arrived yet? I want to say around the 10-minute mark, our ALS had arrived on scene. Yeah, they might even got there a little sooner than that. Yeah, we had notified them what we had. Everybody just kind of jumped into play. Obviously, the main priority was the child. By the time ALS had arrived, I want to say we already had some type of ROSC back from the child. We were able to see life in the child with, you know, circulation, heartbeat. You can tell that the child was trying to gasp for air. It seemed like the oxygen and what my partner was doing with his compressions was working really well. Obviously, when ALS got on scene, we assisted them with patient care, but they took over. Yeah, what got me was I'm doing compressions. I know you had the BVM. Mm -hmm. We're trying to move to get the patient out of the house. I don't remember how many um, cycles I've done. I'd not been compressions. He's giving the oxygen, and then that moment came when it's like I think I saw the the child move, the arms move, the face like like, like he said gasping. I was like, oh, this is working. Something, this is good. And it's just like we gotta go. Let's get the, the baby to the hospital. Just so our listeners understand, your standard CPR for an adult is a compression ratio of 30 compressions 30, to two ventilations. Two Correct. Ventilations. When you're dealing with the 
younger population, we'll say pediatrics down to neonates and such. It changes, yeah. When you have two rescuers, the priority is to kind of get more air in. So you switch from a compression ratio of 30 to 2 to 15 15 and 2. And And the infinite changes more. It changes changes even more than at (laughs) that point, right? Yeah. So it's a lot. And just the emotions behind it, because dealing with patients in general is very, very difficult. But now when you're dealing with someone who hasn't had a chance to experience life yet, the emotions kind of come in. How did you kind of manage that when you're on a scene of something that's so emotionally charged, when you're dealing with someone so young, uh, not even a day old, how do you kind of hold back your emotions to handle the assignment? I think with everything going on, you don't have the time to like really process everything and feel everything right then and there. I always say this on going on any scene, the best thing you can do is try to stay emotionally detached and try to stay as calm as you possibly can, even if you know the scenario is a very stressful environment. We are trained to deal with very, very stressful situations. So I think any advice that you can give to anybody walking into a chaotic scenario is try to stay as calm as possible and just always remember, like, you were trained for this. You you know what you're doing. Especially with this core type, there was no time for emotion. Example, I've had jobs where it came over as child choking. Now I'm thinking, wow, high intense. My heart's already racing. I'm going through my protocols. I'm already emotionally driven. This this core type changed so drastically, there was no time for that. I just had to perform and act. I had to make sure that whatever training I had and experience I had came forward, and that's what got me through it. Just doing what I had to do, making sure that, or like I go back to my checklist, so just follow my, my procedures and protocols that I had to get done. Sometimes when you're not used to a lot of certain call types, like sometimes you'll have an OB out today and you won't get another OB out until maybe six months, a year later. Not that you necessarily forget the training that you've learned to do the job, but you kind of just need that reassurance. I will say when you have a partner who is on the same page as you and you guys are able to talk to each other and be like, do this, do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, it kind of just brings everything together. A big part of it is communication and you know, even with us not working together, I think that that was the first job that we were like, okay, we know we could do this together in Absolutely. a hectic scenario and be able to make a good outcome out of it. That's that's amazing, especially because it's the first time you were working together. Yeah. Communication could have been like dreadful. That's so key. And like working with somebody is having a good partner where you communicate well, you know what you're doing. Sometimes after you work years with someone, you don't have to say nothing. They know what to do. They know what you're going to do. You know what has to get done. We were such a fresh partnership that we had. That definitely bonded us. Anytime you want to work overtime, you want to be partners again, no problem. It's very trial by fire, isn't it? The irony about talking about partners and stuff like that, my long-term partner when I was on 27 Rescue is named Jonathan Rivera. Having a partner that you are with for so long, where you have like that non-verbal communication, just the simplest look. Yeah, you guys know. But for you guys to overcome that challenge of not working together and being able to communicate so quickly and efficiently to get this job done is amazing. It was an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. So during the transport over to the hospital, you transported the neonate, the baby girl. Correct. Right. And the mother was with a crew that showed up. Yeah, by the time we was leaving the apartment, ALS, and I believe the BLS unit was already walking into the apartment. So you transported with the ALS unit? Correct. Okay. And how was that ride? Because you already mentioned you had achieved ROSC, and for our listeners, that means return of spontaneous circulation. 
on the way to the hospital, you're showing signs of life. If you had to guess, because obviously this is a very long time ago, APGAR scores are normally taken at the one in five minute. But if you had to guess during the transport, what was the number at that point? I would say about a six or a seven. You can yeah. see the change. Yeah, we definitely saw a change. More like, color. You know, you can tell the, the baby was breathing. And then the baby cried. And I was like, I felt joy. Like, I was like, wow. Like, yeah. Okay, this is great. This One is of the very good. few this times is, when yeah. someone's crying and you're thrilled about it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, for our listeners, we're just going to just go through the APGAR score. It stands for appearance, pulse rate, grimace, which is kind of like the reflex irritability type thing. Activity, which leads to the muscle tone, essentially, and the way they're moving, and then respirations. It's basically a way to gauge how a neonate dealt with the delivery process and then their progression past that point, how they react to basically being in the world. Incredible job. That's amazing. Super impressed, especially, again, for the fact that you haven't worked with each other before. Now, you get to the hospital, and your standard media, TVs, movies, like to show that there's going to be like high fives thrown in the air and everyone's congratulations, good work, you saved this baby. What was that experience for you when you got to the hospital? It's more like a, a deep breath, a sigh, and like a silence and looking at his face and my just like, what ha- what just happened? Like, <laughs> just calm down. Like, start breathing normal again. You start remember to breathe and like, okay, wipe off the sweat. I think the adrenaline rush starts to come down yeah, and you kind of like start putting things into perspective of like what happened. You start trying to make sense of the job and how it got so chaotic so quickly. I think for us, it was just a moment of like decompression and just looking at one another like, you know, we did it. We did the best we could. I won't lie for me. I, I did wonder of the outcome in any situation, whether it's an adult and a child. I mean, you know, us as adults, we know that eventually time comes where you pass but it's a little bit more different and more emotional for a child so for me it was like you know this is somebody that was just brought into this world I hope that my training and my actions create a a great outcome for the child to sustain life so after the job it was just a moment of breathe relax you know you did the best you can you put your best foot forward at least you were able to make it as far out as bringing this child to the hospital so that's a first sign of like you did good Definitely no balloons, no high five. We just decided to, if I remember correctly, clean our equipment. Basically, we went RBBP just means to stop and restock our equipment and to clean our equipment and to go back on Back in service for the next job. (laughs) So I would imagine, just like all of us, you go back out into the field for the next job and you go post at your 89, which is the cross location where we sit at, you probably spent the rest of the day just talking about that assignment. We definitely did. <laughs> we definitely did. You know, talking about it throughout the day, it also brings you a sense of fulfillment of like, I did my checklist. I dotted all my I's. I crossed all my T's. I know I did everything that I had to do. We're able to talk about the job. What could I have done better? But it was definitely a conversation that took some time to like get away from because we, we were talking about it almost the entire time that we were together for the rest of the tour. So... You were mentioning the initial training that we all go through when we joined the FDMY. Correct. Do you remember being in the EMS Academy when we were taught the obstetrics portion of our class when you did the skills? And do you remember doing this specific scenario? I wouldn't say I remember doing this specific scenario. I mean, the fire department training overall 
they prepare you for everything. You do go through multiple different scenarios for OB out, like complications with OB outs, labor, and they pretty much prepare you for this call. The child was already out, so it wasn't like we were actively helping the mom give birth because that's what the fire department trains you for. This was just the baby's already out. Now you have to put everything else into play. However, the training, like I said, they teach you everything as far as complications and having successful labor and deliveries. But I also think that this coincided with our CPR and cardiac right. arrest I just um, training doing my as BCLS well. BCLS training at BOT. Oh, because you're in medic school now, right? Oh, yeah. That's right. So you're going to start getting prepared for ACLS and PALS. Correct. EMT Moreno is going to soon be paramedic Moreno as he's in the current medic basic class. From an EMT perspective, we teach BCLS, which is the AHA's version of CPR for the healthcare provider. When you become a paramedic, ACLS is the advanced version of that, and PALS is the pediatric advanced version of that. Right. So currently... EMT Moreno is going through that training, and I'm sure he's going to make a fine paramedic one day. That's my plan, absolutely. The BCLS portion definitely prepared us for the CPR portion and providing care to the infant. That training shows you everything in the OB kit. The training shows you how to do CPR for the child. Core types always are different and change sporadically. There's, there's no way prepared for that particular core type. I personally, when I first came out, I believe my first, let's say first six months, I had like five OB outs. None was this drastic where I had to provide CPR. So now, how long did it take before you found out the results of your efforts, that the baby's life was saved, that the mom was okay? Wow, I didn't even know. I don't know the exact time frame. I did just remember getting something from my station, a save a life letter and uh, a pen. But it's funny because in the beginning, I didn't necessarily remember what was it for but I remember at the bottom of the letter reading the address and everything just came back into my mind and I knew exactly what call it was and you know you know that you put your best foot forward and you know that you did everything that you possibly can and you saved the life I mean I don't I don't think there's any other way to put it, I think you just get a sense of fulfillment. You know, I can do this. And, you know, I was trained by a great department. And it brings you so much joy to know that you saved a life. Yeah, this is why we do this. Like, exactly. This is the reason why we come into this field, like, to try to turn an outcome to something positive. So based on your efforts, you both have been invited to the Second Chance Ceremony. For our listeners, the Second Chance Ceremony is an annual event held by the FDMY to reunite cardiac arrest victims with their rescuers. Have you ever interacted with a patient that you've saved? Not yet in my four years that I've been here in the fire department. No, I could say no. Okay. So this is definitely this is new for me, and this is going to be first, correct? Okay. I have something for you guys. I have a message from mom for you guys. Hero Monero and Hero Jonathan Rivera. I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving my daughter's life. She she was born 23 weeks and only a pound and like 17 ounces. And you guys took off with her when she came out. I always thought of you guys highly, very much appreciative. But now that you touch me, oh my gosh, you guys are angels. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much. Who, who needs a brunch? Who, who needs a ceremony after that? That's... That's amazing. That's thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. Like, so, what's that feel like? 
yeah, that brings joy and fulfillment to me. Like, Same. like I could cry. I can cry. I could tear up and cry right now. I get emotional. But um, that's a, a great feeling right now. The video was a beautiful video. I appreciate it. And I'm so happy to know that we are angels in her life and that she looks at us as heroes. It's a great fulfillment when you get feedback from a family member in such a distressed situation. That woman is overjoyed that you two came into her life and you saved her baby girl. You almost had the odds stacked against you. You had the abdominal pain assignment come over. It was the first time you were working with each other. You get to the assignment, you get on scene, and you realize it's something completely different. You have to rally and muster together to do the best you possibly can for not one, but two patients. You take all that effort, you take all that skill, you put it all together, and you have this amazing outcome. This is because you worked to be there. You trained, you took the time, you communicated. This little girl is very much alive because of you. And I am super proud to say that we are members of the same department, that you represent the same patch that I wear, because you've been doing exactly what we try to get everyone to do and to be the best that we are. So thank you. Oh, thank you're you. welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. It was, it you're was, welcome. This is exactly what I, I trained for. This is why I came to the fire department. So with that, I want to thank you both for being here today and sharing with our listeners. Thank you for having us. It was a great experience. If you want to learn CPR, compressions only, the FDNY CPR Training Unit offers a free compressions only CPR training throughout the city and has trained more than 200,000 New Yorkers to perform bystander compressions only CPR, including more than 80,000 high school students. Just go to fdnysmart.org to sign up. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm Captain Randy Lee. For more training and information from our department subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.